Welcome to Much More Much Year with Pup Duffy and Kara Lane, an Aunt Imagination production. Today, I am speaking with David Marentz, director and writer of Alive, which stars Ellen Hillman, uh, Kian Pritchard, and Neil uh, Sheffield. And it is your first feature film. You've done some shorts, but this is your yep. first big go. And I think you did a wonderful job. Thank you. And if you, it's this, this is a film that follows, you know, a, a, it's got kind of like a, a tie-in with all of these people, but it follows this uh, woman who has her younger brother who, and her, her boyfriend, and they are trying to get to a safe haven, so to speak, for her little brother who um, sadly has uh, contracted the, uh, I guess, the disease or whatever that they're calling yes. it. I have to ask you, where did the idea for this come from? Because it does break a lot of those typical zombie genre norms that you're used to seeing. For instance, you've got sentient zombies and it's it's incredible to see the layers that you've put into just the characters like his wife and um how that whole thing and that interaction happens um so what was what spoke to you and what was it that kind of drew you to this whole idea well i think initially i started trying to write something that wouldn't be too complicated to do as a low budget movie. And generally speaking, the zombie genre is quite uh, useful for that because there's, it's not excessively complicated to do. You do have some makeup, some locations they need to find, but you have, you need to do that for every movie basically. And it's a very dramatic context that has a lot of potential because you have the dramatic relationships between the human characters. On the edge of that, you always have the zombies that are sort of a threat. So there's suspense, there's drama that you can put in there. And that's also a genre which audiences are very familiar with. So you don't have to spend too much time explaining things and building up your universe so you can dive right into the interesting things. So. I started writing a zombie movie and the first draft was a bit more contained, but a bit darker and a bit more on the norm. And then when my producer, Rachel Hellman had a look at the script, she said, uh, well, I like it, but it's a bit dark and we need to widen things and be a bit more original. And so we're exploring things that were a bit more original within the genre and starting to have more layers to more, a lot of the characters, including the zombies, and that's how it came about. And I think that's good direction, um, especially like on her part to sit there and call that out, and then for you to create, you know, take that advice and be able to morph it into something like this. Um, I I really enjoyed, I enjoyed it from the beginning to the end, and how things tied in together. Because when you open up, you see. Um, you know, the doctor's appointment and find out the information that you find out. And then you're sitting there like, well, what's that got to do with anything? And it carries, if you pay attention to that moment, it carries into this other part later on in the movie. And you're sitting there like, okay, but it's twofold because not only does it carry into a part of a, of the movie where, 
you know, they might find some safety. It does also carry into, you know, her brother and how that inevitably comes about. And it was really, there was just so much depth there emotionally um, for, for that whole moment where there's that realization that, you know, she has to, you know, the main character has to let her brother go, but that he's going to be okay because of the events that end up getting them to where they're at. Um, So I thought it was very complex and multi-leveled and faceted in that. Um, So you you did really well on that whole thing. And I'm, I'm quite, it's one of those really enjoyable things. It's where it's almost like 28 days later meets cabin fever, but it's transcendent beyond that. If, that makes any sense. That's very kind of you. So <laughs> oh, well, thank you. So this was Ellen and Kean's first uh, experience at all with uh, uh, any kind of film, right? A feature film, but they're, they're all both trained actors. And so they've done uh, shorts and, and stage before. Oh, okay. Fair. Okay. All right. And so how did, um, how did that whole casting them come about? Were you in charge of the casting? Uh, well, my producer was in charge of the casting, and we uh, auditioned a number of people that, first of all, could be available uh, on a very, very wide range of time because we shot for a very long amount of time. It's a s- small production, and so we shot on weekends because most people in the cast and the crew actually have day jobs. Uh, so we needed people who could commit to a long period of filming and of course we need people who uh fit the parts uh well and i think we we found that with most of our cast you absolutely did um ellen just shined um and 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 in the in the end where it's like she's got a decision to make and you sit there yes. and you're watching her making this decision and you're just like I don't know that I could possibly do that. You know, like, do I, does somebody have the strength for that kind of thing? And it was really interesting to see how people clutched to their realities, refusing yes. to adapt and move on. Um, so what made you think about that sort of aspect to put into this, this piece that you're working on? Because it seems pretty um, realistic I think, and how the world would be if something like this did happen. Um, you've got kind of like people clutching onto religion. You've got people clutching onto their loved ones um, and refusing to let them go. So how did you go about, I guess, orchestrating all of that complexity and realistic tendencies? I think one of the things I wanted to explore first and foremost is basically conflict between people and that a lot of human interaction, unfortunately, is about people wanting other people to do things the way they want it without really paying attention to what the other people want. And a lot of conflicts come from that sort of failure to communicate and to empathize with other people. And essentially, also, I wanted to layer this with the institutions that society builds that sort of force people into a direction or another. And that's within the context of the zombie apocalypse, it 
as you said, goes through people still clinging to former institutions, hierarchical norms, and that sort of thing. And I think also one of the things I wanted to explore is so it's often depends on young people who come of age to look at the world they're going into and see, well, have a fresh look on it. And then we say, well, why does that work? What's the point of this? And challenging those norms. And that's what I think part of the trauma and the structure comes from. And I like that. I like that you said that because I, I do see a lot of, and, and this thing is like, it's, it's so deep that it's transcendent past like just a zombie flick. Like you tackle social issues and you tackle questioning, you know, various, you know, institutions and you question their motivations and, you know, kind of why they're in it. And, um, and I thought it was very pivotal because a lot of movies that you watch that are like this are kind of flatline, just, this is what you, what it is. This is what you're getting. And you go into their thing like, oh, it's a zombie movie. So I know what I'm getting. This is one of those movies that I went into it and I was like, oh, it's a zombie movie. You know, I know what I'm getting. And I completely was taken by surprise just because of the complexity of the social issues and the questions that are raised outside of just being a zombie apocalypse. It's like, okay, like you were saying, you know, you've got a younger generation that's coming in and they're questioning these things. And they're like, well, why do we have to do it this way? Why do we have to go to this place? Um, and, and you see that back and forth kind of between, you know, the girlfriend and the boyfriend characters in this movie is like, he's sitting there like, okay, well, maybe we should stay here. And she's like, well, no, you know, like they don't have it right. This isn't the right thing to do. Um, so you, you definitely see that back and forth and the critical thinking and the problem solving that they have just as a younger generation. Um, it's incredible. And it paints the younger generation in a light that I think that they should be painted in that a lot of society is refusing to do so. So I, I thought that was really great. Um, I also did like, uh, this is one of those pet peeves that my husband has whenever we're watching like gunfights or something. He's like, that's, they've already gone through all of their ammo. How are they still shooting? I loved the accuracy of that. I noticed that I was counting the shots and then, you know, they, he had to reload and she had to reload. And I was like, that's incredible. So like major movies, like yes, <laughs> major studio movies, like Hurt Locker and stuff, they will screw that up. And I was just amazed that you were so, I guess, present in that to under to just follow the consistency and to make everything real to life, like how it would really happen. So was that something that you were constantly like thinking about? Yes, that's a, particularly with the gunfights. It's a, it's yeah, it's also one of my pet peeves. People who have infinite nations, basically, and also it was it's a nice moment because it means there's a break in the fight, and you can spend a bit of time with the characters and and focus on their 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 fear, their reactions, and they both feel at the same time. It creates a bit of tension in that scene. Uh, so that was good. It wasn't that easy to pull off because of the way we shot, and we shot uh, again, as I said, uh, over a long period of time, and. A lot of the scenes you see in the movie, some of the shots were made a month after another shot. And we always 
when we do, we're doing that fight, she's got a shotgun and some of the shells that she loads with are just clipped to the side. And we're like, oh my God, does she, does she need to have the shells? Does she not need to have the shells at this point? On the side of the shotgun, is it before she reloaded, after she reloaded? So we had to to keep track of this and it was it was a bit tricky, uh, but I, I think we pulled it off. We had we were very lucky on our production to have an armorer for uh, providing and monitoring all the weapons safety on set, which we were very conscious about. Um, and we worked with a, an armorer called Simon Atherton that we were very lucky to have with us, who's an excessively experienced professional and who was absolutely fantastic to work with. And uh, uh, obviously nobody knows his name. Everybody's seen all the things he's worked on. He was the armorer for uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Edge of Tomorrow, um, uh, Black Hawk Dawn, I think. A lot of really, really impressive movies. And we were very lucky to have him uh, just before he, he retired and we were his last film. So he was always kind of on point looking at the guns and like, no, no, she should have the shell. She should not have the shell. So that, that was interesting to do. That's fun. And you guys did nail that. And knowing that there was such a great distance of time between these sh these these uh, shots, um, it, it just makes it that much more beautiful because it was very thoroughly done and it was very well done. Um, one of the things I do like is uh, I'm, I'm a writer. So the fade to black thing that you did when you were changing scenes, I liked that there was that pause moving you into something else um and it was kind of a good moment for the the viewer to be like okay and process that and think about what just happened before you move into another scene so i liked that um i was that was a was that a creative choice by you to move into like the the fade to black between scenes that's more of an editor's uh, choice uh cuz Producer Rachel Hellman is also the editor of the movie. And so she specifically looked at which point we needed the fade to black to signify a longer passing of time and to give a bit of a break to the audience, as opposed to places where you don't need it and you want to still move faster between the cuts. Okay. Well, she did a really great job. So you'll have to let her know I said kudos, because that's great. I love it. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, the the photography shots the cinematography shots were incredible i liked that um your cinematographer um he uh brought in really close with some things but then yeah. really far to kind of make things more distant and open and almost like cold feeling um rather than up close and personal um so that was that was really enjoyable what part of this film was like your favorite part to to uh, work on? Oh, that is a good question. Um, I think there were uh, there was a big chunk of the movie that we shot in August uh, 2020. Uh, and it's we all went to Devon, and that's all the parts that are in the house, uh, not the attic because the attic is shot in a completely different place, uh, but most of the scenes in the house and outside the house, and some of the shots in the forest. And we had one long week of filming, uh, in that place, and that was the most we done. We had done a filming at one time, so we could do a lot of things uh 
of one day after another and keep track of what we were doing and put a lot of these scenes together. So that was very, that was possibly the best part of filming. And it was, we shot, we started shooting just before the pandemic hit. Then we had to suspend filming. And it was the first time we could come back to filming when the lockdowns were lifted uh, that summer. So it was also a great relief to be able to continue filming the film because we, when we stopped filming, we really didn't know if we could finish the film. So at this point, we could have this one big chunk of the movie filmed and that almost got us to 80% of principal photography. And we're very relieved that we could actually get to that point. Yeah. No, I mean, I can't even imagine having to to try to do all of this and then be in the middle of it and then having to shut down, you know, due to COVID and then picking right back or hoping you can pick right back up and, and start over again. Um, just so that the audience knows is uh, Tom Allen is the director of photography yes. with additional cinematography of Nigel Rogers and James Skerritt. And they did a phenomenal job on, on all of this. So um, I, where was this set at? Cause it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Uh, well, uh, so the house, uh, the old house is it's in Devon. It's in the West Southwest of England. Uh, a lot of the, outside uh, shots in the forest are also half there and also half in Surrey where me and my producer were based during the pandemic. Um, the attic is actually the attic of the house my producer grew in. Um, and the school is mostly, again, it's in near Guildford in Surrey in just west of London. Okay, so it's all really nice and local too. Uh, yeah, most of it was, yes. Most of it, yeah. Well, that the I'm just gonna now I'm just gonna have to go over there and visit because it's just absolutely gorgeous. Um <laughs> do you guys do you have anything else that you're planning or you're working on right now? Oh, we I've just finished a screenplay that's in its second draft, and my producer is now looking over it and trying to put a production budget together and we need to get in into its financing and it's called the devil's workshop and it's going to be it's a sort of haunted house movie and we're going to try to just take the tropes of that type of horror and try to spin it them a bit on their heads and do something maybe a bit lighter a bit more fun than than alive is oh that's exciting see and that's the thing that i really like um i like it when and as and as a writer and a reader um i sometimes you just read books because you know that's you're just comfortable and you know what's going to happen based on this whole genre uh the thing that i really like though is where you know people like you take tropes and cliches that you know everybody expects to have the trope or the cliche but doing it on a different level to where it spins things and you're just like, wow, I did not see that. Like, I knew I was getting this, but I didn't know that I was getting this. Um, so I am I'm really excited about uh, Devil's Workshop. I will have to keep an eye out for that. And you'll have to come back and talk to me whenever that's done, because um, that's exciting. Question, where can people find you if they want to connect or follow your work or anything like that? Well, right now we have we do most of our communication on our Facebook page. I think if you it's called a live feature film, uh, so you can Google it or just search it on Facebook and you should find it. Um, and yeah, that's about it. 
And uh, this releases January 31st on digital platforms, correct? Yes, it's on January 31st. Uh, that's not tomorrow, but Tuesday after that. And it is on most digital platforms. So ready available for pre-order right now. Uh, and it's on yeah, Apple, Amazon, Google Play, pretty much everything. That's exciting. And you guys are just definitely, you're really going to want to watch this uh, this this amazing zombie apocalypse uh, film alive. Uh, David did amazing. Uh, it's, it's, it's a first of its kind, really, if you sit there and think about it, um, you know, with the, with the realism that is with the zombies. Um, and that's, I think what I liked more is you kept a lot of their human characteristics, uh, with that, which does break from the zombie norms where they're just like walking ghouls and brainless and emotionless. Um, and that was that was really uh, beautiful to see, especially at the very end, whenever you've got uh, two of the characters, you know, one saying goodbye, but the other one is like, well, come along. And, you know, she does, you know, help him come along. So he's not left behind. Um, so there was like beauty in that, too, you know. Uh, so very well done. Very Thank well you. done. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to speak with me. I, you're I know welcome, you're over there and it's sorry. it's really late. <laughs> no, it's not that late. It's about okay. seven. That's okay. Great. That's not thank too bad. Thank you. <gasps> yeah, thank you. You have a great rest of your day, okay? Thank you. All right. Bye.